Last week, I left you with this idea or this phrase, zero sum game. Are you familiar with that phrase when it comes to the way humans operate? I think I hear that in a different capacity than it's meant. So if you tell me what you mean by it, I will sort of elaborate from where I come from. Okay. A zero sum game is a game where let's say there are 10 things. If I take seven of those things, that means only three are available to you. If I take all 10, you get nothing. It's a zero sum game. A lot of people like to live life like it's a zero sum game, but then there are other people who like to live it as an absolutely open, sustainable, scalable, uh, it can be as big as you want. I once worked in an ad agency and one of the people on staff died suddenly in a car accident coming home from a PTA meeting. And it was like one of those, oh my God, he was 40 years old, he has a family, he, you know, uh, just one of those things that breaks your heart. And at the service they had for him, I don't know who it was. Uh, somebody said he was a man who lived his life like the fact that he would never blow out someone else's candle would ever make his burn brighter. Mm. And that's to me like the definition of a zero, uh, not a zero sum game, meaning if I blow out your light, mine burns brighter. A lot of people feel that way. I'm not getting that feeling from you, Beth. It sounds like you're no. more like a you bring your best game. I'm going to bring my best game. And as a team, we're going to keep doing better and better and better and better. The plus idea that Walt Disney talked about. You plus, I plus your plus, you plus my plus, 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 plus. Everything mm -hmm. gets better. Opposite of scarcity mindset. Yes. Yes. Now, yeah, I'm tracking with you. And that's exactly how I live. It's how I've always lived. I've never been dissuaded by other people's abilities. I might have been intrigued. I might have said, help me understand more. How do you know this? Like, why do you like this? Help me become this. And so, you know, as an example, in my, I say, early midlife crisis, which was never a crisis at all, I just, again, like to say, okay, this is what people ascribe to, so let's go. Basically, what it means is, I want to learn more. I'm still growing. I'm still being transformed. I'm still being shaped. In OPS, I always want to play the drums. Why wouldn't I try now? You know, so I, I bought a kit and I started to play and I would go to people who have been doing that or who were doing that since they were like 10, 11, 12 years old, sometimes even younger. And I'm like, show me what you know. I never once thought to myself, huh, wow, I don't like them because they're good. I thought they're good, so teach me. And I think that if more of us had that mindset where you're exactly right, it's not a zero sum game. There's plenty to go around. We are in this thing together. And so if we could say somebody who's either up ahead on their journey and has learned some very important principles by which we can live or somebody who is just very gifted and skilled in something that was honestly given to them a spiritual gifting as i like to say right i came out of the womb not knowing how to draw anything other than stick figures and yet van gogh was alive at one point right i don't think he just drew stick figures so part of it is like if i want to know how i need to be curious i need to be inquisitive and i need to not be somebody that tears somebody else down for doing good things in the world i need to learn from them that's how we grow. It's to say, I have this admission that I am not these things and that is okay. They are those things and that's also okay. So what do we do together, right? What do we do together to make this more interesting, to make this a learning situation so that I can walk away knowing 
that I am secure in who I am. That person is secure in who they are. And what can we do for one another instead of take? I'm always a giver. At least I try to be, right? I, I, I try to say, what can I give you in this from this interaction? How can I be of service to you? And in so doing, I always receive something. Always. That abundance mindset that is the opposite of a scarcity mindset. Yeah. That is a hard thing for people to get if they, I guess, are not exposed to it. And, uh, you know, I'm not here to talk about anything too spiritual or religious or anything like that. But even in businesses, competition, let's face it, a lot of businesses are in competition. People are in competition. People compete for the same job. How can you embrace an abundance mindset if you're in competition for a position against other people that you work with? Do you have any thoughts about that? Oh, all day long. Yes. I, was, I had 25 years of, of corporate sales and consultancy work. And one of the things that I found very off-putting, so let me back up a second. When I was 21 years old, it was my first job right out of college. I had no idea what business was, and yet I was a business consultant. So moment of pause there. And I was in the world, and I was going into organizations of all shapes and sizes, industry agnostic, and I was saying, hey, hi, hello, I'm 21. I just graduated from The Ohio State University. I am fresh off of High Street. Please let me help you automate your finance within this Fortune 500 company. Now, people are very gracious when you ask them to help you. So I would say, can you help me understand what accounts payable is, please? Because I, by context, I understand that there are accounts somewhere and presumably you're paying somebody. I don't know who that is. And so when I would walk in these organizations and I would learn these things, I would understand that I am a salesperson, right? And so people who were much further ahead in their journeys, business people, would look at me and say, oh, right, isn't she sweet? Isn't she cute? She has some idea of what this first job is right out of college. And she's here to tell me what I already know. And yet they also knew that in sales, my job was to sell something. Only what I had in sort of my, my toolkit, right? I had certain software that I was there to sell. Now, not the only VAR value added reseller in the world who was also selling software. So my competition was also inside of that same organization. I have no idea if they were 21, 41, 61, but probably with much more experience. And yet I thought to myself, how do I differentiate, right? That is what it's about. And so sometimes what differentiation looked like was saying, I can't help you. You know what? I hear what you need. And many years later, I understood what they needed. And I would say, I'd be the first person to say, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to write you a purchase agreement. I'm not going to give you a scope of work. I'm going to say, you know what? You're better served down the street. And I truly meant that because I would have felt fraudulent saying, please buy this thing for X amount of dollars for your company and organization, knowing that it was not going to give them an ROI, knowing that it was not going to save them any sort of efficiencies and process automation. And I instead would point them in a direction that would give them those things. Always it came back full circle and always they would say, you know what? These are people in my circle that I know could be benefited by what I was offering at the time. And they would bring those folks my way. So showing up authentically, I'm never, I've never been a person to say, what can I get? Again, a giver. I wanted to give them good information. I didn't want to take something unnecessarily because eventually those customers would be not good customers at all because they would look at me down the road and say, why did you sell me this thing? It's garbage. And then that is branding, right? That becomes this organization, this individual representing that organization. You don't want to do business with them. 
But a lot of people feel like, man, I, I have closing ratios. I have expectations. I have all of these things that I have got to do right now. So whatever my narrative is, it's because I'm going to get something. I'm going to be taking these dollars so that I can look good. I never functioned like that. I couldn't do it. That's because, uh, I, I, and I can, I can see it dripping off you. You are a relationship person, not a transaction person yeah. or a transactional person. And yes. that's a key thing to know about yourself because, and again, I'm not here to say individuals' personal brands are better or worse than someone else's. They are either aligned with who they are, what they do and how they do it, or not. And I love to give the example of Walmart versus Target. And I love to ask people, do you see a difference between these brands that sell Tide in similar shape bottles for similar prices? Do you have a different feeling about them emotionally when you walk in or do you not walk in one or the other? Do you have a preference? Would you drive 10 miles out of the way to go to one instead of 10 blocks away to go to another? And the answer is typically people align themselves with one or the other based on a lot of the, the intangible or what people believe to be intangible things about them. Well, I, I just like this one because it feels better. Well, why does it feel better? Do you think it might be because it was designed in a way that is totally aligned with the brand so that you felt exactly like you should when you walk in the door? And the answer is, yeah, that, that is why it. It's because it's aligned. The brand is in alignment with its concept, with its pillars of what it offers and how it delivers and serves the customer. So I love to say, learn from them. You should be doing the same thing, which is letting people know what they can expect from you. And Beth, the, what you just described was... You told people not to buy our product? What salesperson would ever do that? <laughs> well, it reminds me yeah. of the old Miracle on 34th Street, the, the old uh, movie where Santa tells them to go to Gimbal's because they have it and we don't here at this store. Mm -hmm. Why would you do that? Because I want to help people out. Well, what happens? Yeah. People love you for helping them out. And consequently, when you do have something that you can serve them that will help them, they're going to take that meeting, they're going to take the call, and they're probably going to ink the deal because you've always done solid things for me. Yeah. I know right. that. That's right. I appreciate that. And I feel good about that because you did me a solid then, I'll do you a solid now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's not even just what you said is right, but it's not even that tit for tat sort of mentality of, oh, I owe somebody. It's not that. It is really what Maya Angelou always says. People may not remember what you said to them, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And so if people feel respected, they feel as if you see them and have their best interests at heart, they're going to remember that. They're going to remember that you made them feel important enough to be honest with them. And so that is why I am all about being authentic, which means don't be smarmy, right? Like don't be somebody that you're not to get something that you probably don't deserve in the first place. It's one of those things that is just like, if you are honest and you are, the word is not overused. I, people say, well, authentic, authenticity. Well, I don't know what else is more important really, because if you're not being authentic, you're being something that is misaligned to your point from a branding standpoint, from a human standpoint, from a relational standpoint, from all standpoints, 
if you are not being true, people pick up on that, right? People are not morons. And so if you're in a room with somebody, they know how you're making them feel. Oftentimes, I, my husband's fine with me saying this because we discuss it discuss and quote, frequently. I will say to him, I don't think that you are being real with me right now. I think you're saying what you know I want to hear, but I don't think that's how you feel. So I would much rather hear the words that you think I might receive as like hard to hear, but I want to know what they are. Because if you don't know the truth of someone, if you don't know the authentic person, their branding, their product, their positioning, their under their belief system, if you don't know that, then how are you supposed to respond? I, I don't know that answer. I want to know what I'm dealing with always, which is to your point, why I like Beth Dutton so much. I mean, you don't really ever question where you stand with a woman. <laughs> and yet I have been somebody that over the course of my entire life has always shown up like that. But in the early 80s, right, when I was growing up, I was very much reprimanded for that. I was the girl that in a classroom would say out loud what everybody was thinking, which is, why, why is this teacher, like, is he serious right now? I would say, like, Mr. So-and-so, why, why are you showing us this? Or Mrs. So-and-so, like, we know this. Can we move on? Like, what? you know, I, I, wanted, I wanted to know why that people were going through motions. Going through motions is boring to me. Like, I want to know what's behind the motion. I want to know what's driving people. I want to know what they really think. And it might be people are afraid to do that because they're so afraid of those repercussions on the other side. Well, how's this going to be received? I should say this thing. So I'm going to say it because that's what's expected. And I'm going to keep the peace. And I'm like, well, ruffle some feathers because keeping the peace is boring. You know, in certain circumstances, I understand. But in the main, when you're trying to really relationally understand something, a principle, a concept, a human, then give it to me straight and let me decide how I feel about that. Let me decide that. That is respectful because otherwise you're just trying to play this game and set up the answer so you feel fine and everybody's great. Everybody can go to bed, not mad at each other, and everybody can pretend everything's fine. Well, really? But is that progress? Is that transformation? No, it's boring. <laughs> it's boring. Yeah. Well, and, and the whole thing is, it's boring for you. It's boring for the people who like you and, and your personal brand and what you re represent. But there's an entire audience that's like, no, I want to be bored. You know, it's the old story about IBM. No one ever got fired for buying IBM. And there are plenty of risk-averse people who can't handle the hot sauce the way you're serving it up, which is fine yeah. because there are plenty of other personal brands that are more boring, are more aligned. pedestrian. Aligned, like you yeah, said. And, and they're more aligned with what you want. Let's yes. face it. Uh, I don't want a, 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 an electric car created by a billionaire. And I, I, I want yeah. a, a Ford probe. Fine. There are those things out there, but what you have to do as a personal brand is know who you are and embrace that and let people know about it. Demonstrate mm -hmm. that personal brand. You know, I like to say there are two D's that are important when it comes to branding. Number one is differentiation. And it's so appropriate that you're wearing a Yellowstone Dutton Ranch headgear there, that trucker hat, because... The first branding, think about it. The first branding was for one thing only, differentiation. I put my brand on my brown cow. You put your brand on your brown cow. That's how we know which brown cow is, is which. Mm -hmm. Differentiation, absolutely job one of branding. But right behind that is the other D, demonstration. 
You need to demonstrate over and over and over again exactly who you are, what you do, and how you do it. And again, longtime listeners of this podcast will know that I spent my formative years when learning about branding at McCann Erickson in Atlanta, Georgia, working on brands like Coca-Cola. Now, I talk about Coca-Cola all of the time just because it, it was the formative brand that finally got through my thick skull the power of saying the same thing over and over and over again. Since 1886, Coca-Cola has had somewhere north of 220 different taglines, all revolving around the same concepts of authenticity, refreshment, and sociability. I can go in and talk about those things all day long. I'm not going to. Just trust me on this. Coca-Cola is what Coca-Cola has always been because they've told us that. It's the real thing. They were the first cola to come out in 1886. They beat Pepsi by one year, literally one year, and yet Coca-Cola is the real thing and always will be. They don't get tired of telling that story over and over again because that is exactly who they are, what they do, and how they do it. Same thing with you. You know, Beth, you've embraced a single word beautifully, remorseless. We've talked about the definition of that. Remorseless, I can't help but now see you as the avatar, the human avatar for that word in real life. Because again, remorseless does not say I am without guilt or without wrongdoing but I will no longer let guilt define me and stop me from moving forward. You know, we could go all in on Ayn Rand's sanction of the victim idea, but I'm not a big Ayn Rand fan, so let's not go there. But let's just say you recognize the fact that, well, all of us, none of us are without sin. Regardless of your religiousness or lack thereof, we all have a little bit of stuff that we don't do perfectly or have we've done some people wrong. The question is, can you get past that in a way that is truly authentic to you? And it's that authenticity. I hate that word because it's been said so, so bastardized, but what's a better word than auth genuine? Yeah, it's synonymous for sure. Yeah. Being exactly who you were created to be because we all were made with a specific purpose in mind and you know, I, I've always known what I liked. I've always known what I don't like. I always know what sort of instantly makes me feel a certain way, which is, um, boy, I'm uncomfortable. Boy, I'm impatient. Boy, I don't want to be here. You just know. We know these things. I know I'm an extrovert. I know that when I'm in a room filled with people, it brings me great joy and energy. I also know many people in my life whom I love dearly. My husband is one who says, you know, nope, I'm good for a minute and then I got to go. Because otherwise, I become apoplectic and I need to leave this room in a hurry. And so what's been interesting is our open communication about that, which is I say to him things like, uh, I got to go. I, I can't just sit here any longer, which in his world is like, I am good right now. This is bringing me fulfillment and I'm filling my tank back up. And he also understands and recognizes for me to fill my tank back up, I got to be moving. I I've got to be around people. I either have to be running or in nature or out and I have to be accomplishing and doing things. And for so long, people have made me feel guilty about that. People have said things to me like, well, hmm, what are you running from? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, boredom? I don't know. Uh, stagnation? I, I, I don't 
really think that that I think is rhetorical because what I'm doing is I'm running towards exactly who I am. I am being exactly who I'm made to be. And so authentic, genuine, whatever it is. But I, I think that the terminology really just equates to living life every single day in a way that you were aligned to live, right? Like you were made with purpose and intention and certain things that bring you great joy. And the world needs all of us. The world needs absolutely every single kind of personality type, extroverts, introverts, artists, right? Musicians, pick a thing. It doesn't matter. We all have something that we have that brings other people great joy, but even more so brings us fulfillment in the moment. And so when you are authentically, again, leaning in, right, the terms, but when you're doing those things, you are embracing those giftings and skill sets. You're not only like the best version of yourself because you're happy, you're content, you're filled with joy, but other people feel that too, right? They may not know what you say, but they know how you're making them feel and what you're making them feel is included in your joy. You're making them feel a part of something. You're making them perhaps tap into the things that bring them joy. And it's this reciprocity that is, wow, I see her or I see him doing things unapologetically, right? Without guilt. They're just doing it. They're not offending anybody. They're not pretending to be somebody they're not. They're living in this moment. And I can see this radiation of just joy coming off of them. Huh. I wonder if I can get there too. What do they have? What, what do they have that I don't? And my answer typically lands, you know, again, I know we're not going down the Christianity talk right now, but it, it, it goes down the path of what they have is an acceptance. They have an acceptance of their true self. They no longer are saying, I'm living according to my parents' expectations. Boy, they expect me to go to college, so here I go. They expect me to get married, so, you know, where's the little chapel? They expect all these things. They're, they're not doing that anymore. They're saying, you know what? I am still a whole human being with mattering and value and worth if I don't do those things, if I do the things that I'm made to do. You know, I, I am so completely in agreement with you. You know, the framing that you gave that these are gifts, or I think you use the word giftings, which is an, a new word to me, but I totally understand what you mean. And the idea that you are the perfect version of yourself already. So embrace that. I think that, again, this is kind of spiritual, kind of uh, psychological, but I, I gotta say it's also absolutely truly aligned with creating your personal brand or your small business brand, because there is no difference between your personal and your small business brand. Let's face it, until you have 50 to 500 employees, it's still you. Your reputation, everything about you defines what you are, who you are, what you do, and how you do it. So I just love that idea, though, that you are perfect. The question is, have you identified the perfect you inside the box that is labeled with a whole bunch of other stuff? Again, remorseless. Great word to use when talking with Beth Fisher. Provocative. Hopefully a really good word when you're talking about me, because... I am embracing that word as strongly as you're embracing remorseless. And I don't think it's an overpromise and underdeliver. Certainly not this episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast because it's been with Beth Fisher, who you can see why I love her so much. Really an interesting conversation, a wonderful person. Again, I want to let people know that Beth's book, you can get that book on over at Amazon.com. So, Go get Beth's book, Remorseless, at Amazon.com. 
And also, Beth, where can people connect with you online? And don't forget to pump your podcast. Yes, the easiest way to find me is BethFisher.com. You can actually find my podcast there as well. I have the Remorseless Podcast. That is wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts, right? So that's out there too. But BethFisher.com has everything. It's got the most recent episodes. It has the books. It has coaching. It has just me. So that is where I am. I want to say thank you again for being on the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. What a treat. I would love for you listeners to like, subscribe, refer, and review this podcast wherever you actually get it, because that does help other people find it. And also, check it out next week with another exciting guest. But for now, I'm your host, D.P. Knuton, and she is... Beth Fisher. And I'll be talking at you guys next week. Bye-bye.